Welcome back to the Jerk Training Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Graves. In this episode, we're going to talk about narcotics officer safety with the drug enforcement legend, Bob Pennell. Bob is a retired California narcotics agent and is an international expert on clandestine labs and drug manufacturing. Bob has an amazing class called Narco Safety, where he talks about all of the different ways that an arc is going to get hurt on the job and how to protect yourself. Now, for you guys on patrol, this is going to help you too. Everything he talks about is just basically how drugs are going to hurt you as an individual. Welcome to the Drug Training Podcast with Keith Graves, a police officer who spent 28 years specializing in drug investigations and who regularly teaches law enforcement officers, private businesses, and concerned families on spotting and dealing with drug use. This podcast is the essential resource for both professionals and individuals who need practical help, advice, and insight. Now, here's your host, Keith Graves. This episode of the Drug Training Podcast is sponsored by OnlineDrugTraining.com. Their online drug portal allows you to take training whenever you want on your own time, whether you're in your patrol car, in the office, or at home. With a wide variety of topics that's growing every day, there's a class for everyone at OnlineDrugTraining.com. With each course you complete, you receive a certificate of training. And if you go there now, you can get 10% off of your training if you use the coupon code DTP at checkout. Now, I host all my class, all my classes that I teach in person, I host on onlinedrugtraining.com. So if you miss some classes that you want to take with me, go ahead over there and you can go ahead and take it. If you want to instruct a course and you want it to appear on onlinedrugtraining.com, then shoot me an email. My email's in the, in the show notes and uh, we can work on getting you in there. Now, before we start our interview with Bob, we did this up in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, at the Washington State Narcotics Investigators Association meeting. Now, I had a traveling microphone and video camera uh, that I was going to use for a video I was going to shoot, and we decided to do a podcast episode with Bob. So the audio is not the best, but bear with me because Bob has some wonderful things to talk about. So without further ado, here's our interview. Welcome, everybody. My name is Keith Graves. I'm the host of the Drug Training Podcast. I got Bob Pennell with me. Bob is going to introduce himself. Way to go, buddy. Uh, instructor extraordinaire. He was the, uh, his claim to fame, besides being an all-around bitching guy, he was the, uh, he was, uh, the California Narcotics Instructor of the Year. Jack Ryan. Yeah, got the Jack Ryan Award. He is a good dude. He, I'm, we're at the Western State, or Western States, the Washington State Narcotics Investigators Association Conference. Uh, I'm teaching, uh, you can see up there, dark net stuff. Uh, but Bob is teaching a really cool class. His class is narco safety, and it's stuff that I preach about. But this is the man when it comes to safety. Uh, Bob Bob's got a great class where he explains everything. He just does a fabulous job. Bob, tell me a little bit about yourself. I know I know who you are, but let's hear a little bit of bragging, so that way the audience knows who you are. I was. Uh a state narcotics agent for the uh, California Department of Justice from 1987 to 2009. Uh, during that time period, I took a two-year assignment to be on a crystal meth team, and it basically turned into about a 22-year assignment, which kind of turned me into this uh, crystal meth guy all over the world because at that time, we you know, were heavily impacted by the Mexican drug cartel manufacturing. Prior to that, I was a CHP for about four and a half years. 
My mom loved chips, that show. God almighty, I interviewed, I interviewed for that thing. I had been a Merced SO deputy prior, and when I was a Merced SO deputy, we had a drug task force that was run by these state narcs. And these, these dudes were cool. They uh, drove around Camaros, they had machine guns. It's like, this is what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I was told if I became a state employee, I could lateral over at any time. So I went to that highway patrol. My mom bought me a suit, I interviewed, she loved Ponch, god darn it. And I, I turn around, I get hired, and I go to the High Patrol Academy, and I'm there about 10 minutes, and I realize, what have I done to myself? Because I actually like being a, a sheriff's deputy. I'm young, I'm driving around, life's good, I got a gun, chasing bad guys, life couldn't get better. And then four in the morning, I'm in that gym, and that CHP is just hammering me for the next 20 something weeks and uh, it was exact, it was a great experience but it was quite an eye opener. I hadn't been to a real stress academy and then from there I went to South Los Angeles because for me you know my choices were East LA, West LA, South LA, Central LA. Am I going to LA? That was the whole thing right there. Well you are single and you have nothing. You're going to LA. What is the most action-packed office in Los Angeles? South Central. That's right. exactly right. Yeah. And that's what I said to him. But here was the big reason. One, I didn't speak Spanish. So I didn't want to go somewhere where I had to deal with gang members and everything that were Spanish speaking because I just didn't speak Spanish. So I went right to South LA, Watson Compton. Holy smokes, we're right in the beginning now, you know. We have Crips, we got Bloods, we have Pyrus, we have all that going on. PCP is huge. I'm coming from Brissette SO, so I'm used to being on graveyard shift, white dairy cows getting in the road. I'm doing stuff like that. And then I go to South Los Angeles. You know, two eleven ninety nine is my first night ever working, wow. officer shootings and stuff. And I live in Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach, surfing and everything, go to work, and then I have no seniority. So when you have no seniority, you know, I work all surface street. I never see the freeway. Like John at Ponch, they rode those motorcycles down the road, and they were stopping yeah. the flight attendants. Oh, no. I'm deep, in the, I'm deep in the hood, buddy. Nickerson Gardens, Jordan Down Projects. I'm deep in the hood. And uh, boy, did I learn a lot fast. So as I'm learning this whole job, uh, there's this group called CNOA, this California Narcotic Office Association. So I want to become a state narcotics agent, remember? Yeah. So I look into them and I join this CNOA thing. And at the same time, the Highway Patrol starts this new drug recognition expert DRE program. I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, a guy teaches it. Yeah. Who I know. Yeah. And I turn around and I get into that pilot program. So at the same time, I'm sending my, I'm going to NARC training through CNOA because I need to get this training. So, because remember, after one year, I'm, I'm out of there. I'm gone over to BNE, the Bureau of Narcotic Enforcement. So uh, I go through the first uh, DRE program, start going out and doing 11.550s, which for us are under the influence. Yeah. And uh, I start working. And then that year comes, I head down to state personnel. I'm ready to go. And it's like, listen, I'd like to lateral over to the Department of Justice to be a BNE, the Bureau of Narcotic Enforcement, the oldest narcotic agency in the United States at 89 years, which of course doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And. Thank you, Kamala Harris. She ruined, B so b &E is a, for those of you who don't know, Bureau of Narcotic Enforcement, like he said, it, what he doesn't tell you, it is a great organization that when Kamala Harris was the AG in California, she shut it down. Eliminated the program. Yeah. yeah. She, so, uh, not to get too us. political, but it's important. Yeah. yeah. Well, we are the oldest narcotic unit in the United States. Yeah. That was the key thing, you know. It's huge. And, uh, just eliminated us. Uh, local agencies and a lot of those people, you know, they could do. 
narcotic investigation. We don't need state narcotic agents anymore. And very few people knew about us. You know, we were really behind the scenes. Covert surveillance, helping other agencies. Now, you know, with our SOU teams at DOJ, wiretapping, MS-13, all that stuff like that. So I go in there to lateral. Uh, sorry, you can't, uh, you, can't, you can't come over to DOJ. What are you talking about? They go, no, no, no. If you want to go to fish and wildlife, you want to, you can go anywhere you want, state parks. But you have to actually interview and test for DOJ. Are you kidding me? No. I'm a CHP. Yes, you are. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, though. That was a great job. But I was one of the first DREs, remember? Yeah. So here comes the 84 Olympic Games. So I'm one of the only DREs, and there I am, doing all the uh, 11550 under the influence, driving everything for the Olympic Games in 84. Nice. Oh, yeah. And uh, gosh, what an Olympics. My classmate, God, I loved him. Flots. Uh, he had parked the uh, CHP helicopter during the closing uh, ceremonies, you know, or during the Olympics on the deal. A lot of my classmates, I saw him. Uh, it was just a memorable event for me. He's a great guy, too. But I'll tell you, it was, it was big. So what happens? I transfer north. I continue doing basically highway patrol stuff and everything. And then finally, after about three years, I hear about this Bureau of Narcotic Enforcement. They're interviewing now. And it was one of those typical deals where you go in and they ask you, so what have you done to prepare for this job? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I start laying it down. You know, we've taught all over me and you. You know how I did. Yeah. I start laying it down. Stop talking. God almighty, buddy. <laughs> Just stop talking. We'll hire you. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why you take all that training. That's why you go to training and everything. And so my whole life, you know, I had been involved. I was in EMT2 before law wait, enforcement. Did you get the job right then and there? Well, I got the job. Not right, <laughs> not right there, 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 but you got it. Yeah, and I immediately went to the city. Okay. I go into this area where this, uh, this godforsaken Livermore is. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, when you say city, what is city? Because most of our people, listeners don't know oh, what city. San Francisco. San Francisco, yeah. So I get sent to the city. Greatest office in the world. Office is right on Fisherman's Wharf. Yeah. I mean, really, right on Fisherman's Wharf. So when you came out of our elevator, you were in the crab pots and everything, and we used to draw people I down there that. to do by bus and everything. We'd, we'd dress up like tourists. We are basically just tourists. And then all of a sudden, we'd jump on people for kilos of coke. God, it was a great, great. Taylor Street, yeah. right? Yep. 700 Taylor 2720 Taylor Street. Oh, I was close. Oh, Look yeah. at that. Dang. God, we loved it down there and everything. That was a great office. So to train me, they sent me over to this Oakland PD. <laughs> I go over to that Oakland, and I'll tell you what. Those guys would not give me the time of day, but they were high speed. They were one of the first agencies I'd ever seen that, now you're talking 1985, that wore helmets, ballistic shields, all carried flashlights. They were all, everyone looked the same to me, mm -hmm. and they were good. But what it was is I had no respect. I didn't have any street cred or anything. So they just... I was just there, and then they told me things to do. And then finally we get this brouhaha, and we're trying to arrest this guy, and I come in, I jump in, like doing one of those Jake snakes from wrestling or whatever that, yeah. jump on the guy, and we're on the ground, I'm going at it, and, everything. and finally it's like, yeah, you'll be all right, kid. And then they all start talking <laughs> to me. But back then, you know, you got back then you had uh, Felix Mitchell. You know, he was the one when, uh, when Felix, you know, a huge cocaine dealer and everything, yeah. he's the one who had uh, the horse-driven uh, 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 carriage right down Oakland, remember when he oh, died? Yeah. They killed yeah. him in prison. Yeah. And you had Funktown USA, Harvey yeah. Wisington, big time cocaine. It was huge. It was yeah. really huge. And then eventually we transitioned 
into the Hells Angels yeah. and Sonny Barger yeah. and them. And we would infiltrate the Hells Angels with Art Foreman, with Anthony Tate. I remember that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's when I got into methamphetamine because we were already doing a meth case on a guy named Flynn, but eventually I would get a chance to get in on this whole Hells Angel thing. It was all about buying meth. And that's how this whole meth thing happened. And then what happened, I wanted to return to the Central Valley where I grew up. Because I grew up in Merced, which is north of Fresno. And they started getting these uh, clan lab teams because they're having all kinds of problems with clan labs. And uh, these guys always looked like hell when I saw them. You know, it looked like they didn't sleep or anything like that. However, I could transfer home. And it was only a two-year assignment. You know, government work. You could get the big D and call in sick for two years. <laughs> you could you could do anything. Yep. You could yep. government work. You can you could pretty much get for two years. So yep. I said, how hard can that be? And that's what happened. I got sent to Fresno, and I get sent on this uh, methamphetamine team in labs, and then we get the living teeth kicked out of us in '88, '89 because the Hell's Angels will eventually transition over the Mexican cartel. We will start to see P2P methamphetamine mm -hmm. go away. Yep. And we started seeing ephedra and ephedrine-based uh, uh, methamphetamine uh, demeth from what? Pseudoephedrine and ephedrine, which became twice as potent. So now, and the meth epidemic starts. Well, there's only six of us. Six of us for nine counties. If you could wow. imagine being a, a, a sheriff in a county, imagine nine counties and there's only six of us. And then the cartel hits us and we start getting called out and I'm not coming home for days. Days, my guys, because you know, we were, we we got involved in the investigation. We got together with that agency. We started putting together a game plan. Started uh, conducting covert surveillance, throwing on the old ghillie suits, going in and watching these guys manufacture, putting together a raid, hitting these guys, dismantling the uh, methamphetamine. How'd it got today? In my class, narco safety, emerging drug trends. Don't ever miss great, it. Great class, by <laughs> the way. I had a good class today. I had real good guys in my class today. A guy today shows me a deal from his area. And it is, obviously, I don't think it was methamphetamine. It was synthetic of some time. I don't know if it was, you know, MDMA, DMT. I don't know what it was. Fire. Fire department gets there. It put, puts it out and everything. A day and a half later, they call him. And these cops go out there. And he, he showed me pictures. It's a bonafide, full-blown lab. I go, so who uh, processed that? Process that? Uh, nobody. I said, did anybody take samples? Hey, the health department goes, no, they just call. Like, we have the Toxic Waste Control, DTSC in California, the Department of mm -hmm. Substance Toxic Abuse. So they respond, but we process scenes, right? He goes, no, I don't. He goes, they just take it all away. You go, all that hazardous material? It shows you how different things are. Yeah. So we had to process everything. So it would take us sometimes two days. And I'd be on, my way, I'm, I'd be on my way home. Boom. Hey. Bunch of narcs are coming over from the Bay Area. They're following chemicals. Hey, they bedded them down here. Keith Graves and those guys are pretty tired <laughs> from Livermore. Those guys from Alameda Task Force are pretty tired. They've been up for probably 11 hours. They're exhausted. <laughs> Can you take over? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, we had to come out. Yep. All right, where in the hell is it? They went to that, that, that barn right there. And then here we did. Here we go. Oh, I remember. And then we had to sit on that godforsaken thing. Hey, thanks, Bob. You guys, you guys, would head back to your task, and I'd have to sit on that thing. <laughs> we'd have to write the search warrant. Then we'd have to hit it. Then once we hit it, we had to process it. Then we, had, and then the phone ring again. Hey, the Mojave Desert. We have a PT, uh, PCP lab. Oh my God, it was a hard run. But over time, what happened? I became this uh, methamphetamine expert. If you do 
one assignment for 20-something years, and it's your only assignment, you know, over time, you know, D&E was great to me. You know, I got invited to a lot of national conferences. I was, I was a real representative for us, myself and a guy named Craig Hammer. He was in Southern California. I was yeah. in Northern California. And uh, I just got a lot of name recognition. I did a lot of, I represented us back. We went back to Congress and spoke to uh, the Congressional Meth Caucus and stuff, trying to get money for HIDAs and stuff like that. HIDAs are high intensity drug yeah. traffic areas. And uh, I just became this guy. But I always have been a teacher. When I was a kid, I taught CPR, first day. Yeah. Then I became an EMT one, and then an EMT two. That was a predecessor to paramedics. You know, we started IVs, we ran codes, we hit people with the paddles and everything. But back then, paramedics were just starting. You know, we had all standing orders because we couldn't send telemetry to doctors to see. Oh, shoot, he's throwing PVCs. Give him some lidocaine. Blah blah blah. Bullets. We couldn't do it. We did that all on our own. But there's no money in it. Yeah. And then you hang around cops, so you're at the hospital all the time, you know, cops. Dude, you ought to become a cop. Drive fast. You get to meet a lot of people you'd want to meet. You get yeah. a gun. Yeah. It's a good gig. And, you know, EMS, paramedics, you just didn't make any money unless, unless you became a fire paramedic. Yeah. Then you became a fire paramedic. And that's basically how it happened. So I become this teacher and everything I am. I start teaching. And then we turn around, and basically uh, that starts all of this stuff. I have, I've run with BNEM on this narcotic team and everything, and I've become this guy. But I was always, always stressed. Like with my team, my team was real simple. I was very, very blessed. I had about 25 uh, agents from eight different agencies. I interviewed everybody for the job. Other than a couple, a lot of times what they would do is they would get like a, a misfit on a, a unit or an agency. Send them the, that, uh, that meth task force thing and we'll send them to the desert. And they just basically put them out to pasture. Well, I got them. But you know what? I made it a fun place to work. I made sure that all of the people on my team had what they needed to do the job. Very early on, my board, eight different agencies now, allowed me to keep all my assets, seizure money. Nice. Right out of the get-go, I get into an Asian marijuana growth uh, case, and we take off a load over Casa de Fruta, coming over, you know, Pacheco Pass, rip these guys for 433000 So that's the seizure days. Then we turn around and the guy gets on the freaking phone. I'm sorry, man, blah, blah, blah. I'll make it up to you and I'll send an additional 20,000. We'd pick wow. that second car off. So I'd literally almost get a million dollars. And just when I first start. So once that money cycles through, now I have money for equipment. Now I can buy anything for my guys. So now I go to a conference like this, a trade show. You know, I usually be able to walk in and uh, you'd come up to me, you know, oh, hey, Commander. Uh, you know, can we, uh, these helmets are high speed, I mean, I got, dude, let's, let me take a look at them. Yeah. Dude, uh, give us 25 of them. No, 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 you know what? Uh, Keith Graves and those guys, man, I mean, there's six of those guys, we work with them a lot. Or give me give me like 32 of them. And then, you know, I took care of people like that. Nice. And then I made sure my supervisors never over-supervised. Fun place to work, give you everything you need to do the job. And by the time I interviewed Keith Graves, we're ready to go, because why? I interviewed you, you know how to do the job, just go do it. Don't over-supervise those guys I hired. Yeah. And I had great supervisors. And uh, we just fought crime and everything. You know, we're doing all my life on MTV, you know, because if you want to see a super lab or a monster, you always had to come see us. And that started creating contacts. You were everywhere. Oh, yeah, we were all You were on PBS, Frontline. We you were, were on, We did all those shows. You were on Vice recently, too. You're still into it. Well, you know why? You know, it's like, you, you know, when they go to those databases, you're a subject matter expert, and they find you. Now, we need to find a guy, but where's a... Where's a conservative freaking guy outraged who hates freaking the world? Keith Graves, Idaho. 
who knows stuff about drugs. You come up. That's the same thing yeah. with me. Crystal method. Like CNN was just uh, in Fresno, and they were, you know, we just had all the, uh, the CDC overdose over 100,000. But, you know, a lot of them are crystal meth. What can you imagine what our overdoses uh, would have been if you didn't have naloxone? Think about what all our overdose deaths would have been in America. I mean, 100,000 with an antagonist to bring you back. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you think about that. All those kids and everything like that. Think of the one, if we didn't have it, how many would have died? Oh, my God. You know, where with crystal meth, you know, there is no antagonist. Your body just is eating itself from the, and you're just starting to rot. I mean, you are. So you OD, you know, you die. So let me, let me go back. So you're here teaching narco safety. Mm -hmm. You obviously know what you're talking about because you've been doing it for a long time. Mm -hmm. Old. Tell me, uh, well, I didn't want to we didn't I want, want to say that. We are state old. the obvious. We're, we're yeah. old. Okay. I can pull a hammy just sitting right here talking to you. You know that. And a moment so, bingo. All of a sudden, we're like this, me and you. But go ahead. It's true. So what's the premise of your class? What, like, If cops are going to come to your class, what are they going to learn in narco safety? First introduction, of course, 10 Bob Pendle adventure stories. God dang it, the kids love them. <laughs> no. Uh, narco safety right out of the get-go. If you can't recognize a hazard, how do you protect yourself from it? Yes. The reason you keep taking training your whole life, and one thing about me, I spoke all over, I, I instructed off a federal grant. So for six years, I went to every state in the United States except Alaska, and I instructed safety classes, all my NARC classes and everything, to agencies that didn't have money to do training. So I went to those, up in the Appalachians, I went to those parishes, Louisiana, I met, gosh, I met some great, great law enforcement people. But basically, I went out and did all that. But I would go to conferences, well, perfect example. I'm at this conference, right? And what I'm doing, I'm sitting in the back listening to your class. Because, <laughs> yeah. because what you did, you just take other classes that are interesting. And I go in there and I sit. And so I always was learning. So with my class, if you can't recognize a hazard, you come into an environment, you're clearing a room, and you turn, if you don't know what you're looking at, well, how do you know it can hurt you? How do you protect yourself from it? Yeah. Right out of the get-go, see? And that's what we talked about. So I go into the things that are important to me. Eye protection. You know, I, I like to sh I show pictures of SWAT teams and high-speed teams, special forces. Everybody has ballistic goggles on. Everybody has eye protection. Everybody is high-speed. And then I'll always ask, why, what is the deal with all the ballistic goggles and everything? Why do you even have that? Come on, dude. We don't want to get shit in our eyes. They always give me that look. It's always a young dude. It's like they have the uh, sacrificial SWAT guy. They have all the guys, you know, all the OGs, and this young kid represent us. Answer this guy's question. Uh, well, so we don't get shit in our eyes. And then I bring up a slide. So how come the other 99% of the time you do the job, you don't protect your eyes? Right? Yeah. So, so what do you think? You're, you're only protecting your SWAT eyes? I mean, the rest of the stuff you do, you don't protect your eyes? Do you truly believe on everything that you've seen in your life that you can't go do a probation search and go into a house and someone can't throw something in your eyes? And they do. You bet and, they do. And, and, you bet it's they almost do. Like, and sometimes if somebody does wear eye pro or eye protection, some people start kidding them. Like, hey, why are you wearing that? Why do you need to wear it? Almost like, why, why are you doing that? You don't need to do that. Especially the clear glasses. Yes. When you're wearing the clear yes. ones at night, on patrol. Yeah. Hey, it's real simple. And you, need to, you only got two eyes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's real, that's exactly, it's real simple. Dude, this looks stupid. I just don't want to go blind. Right. Walk off. I'll give you another example of that. So we turn around and uh, we hit an indoor uh, grove. Asian crime, Asians moved in, a lot of indoor growing, where they literally, you know, take over a track home. Yeah. So we get there, call out my, my team, a bunch of other people are there. We get there, other agencies are there. Nobody's got particle masks on. Nobody has anything like that. I turn around, I get there, I walk in, my guys arrive. My site safety guy's with me, Joe DeMello. We go in there, and we're looking around, and, uh, oh, man, you know, 
most people don't realize indoor grows, you know, each room is a different time of year. That's what they're trying. And I walk in there, black mold, airborne contaminants and stuff. And I turn around and tell all my guys, everybody, particle mass on, everything. We come in, here it comes. Hey, uh, Joe, what'd you guys get? Just get done cleaning teeth? They start sticking it to us, right? And then Joe turns to him and says, no, nah, sorry, dude. I just don't want to breathe in all this stuff into my lungs and get those spores in my lungs. And Joe walks off. Hey, uh, where, you got any more of those? They're on the back right. of the truck. That's why. Same thing with eye protection. You know, it's real simple. Go into Starbucks, have an upside down Carmel Macchiato. When you walk back out, put them on. You never know. You pull over in your sheriff's car on the freeway to help a trooper on a big accident at night, and all of a sudden, here comes a piece of wire or a nail airborne, and it takes you out. Remember, blind's blind. It's permanent. Yep. You know, and that's, so that's the safety stuff. And as I go along, we talk about stuff like that. Talk about butane honey oils and just walking in and what happens when there is an explosion, but after the explosion, when they're putting water on it and the fire department's there, you've got to remember in narcotics lots of times, you're the smartest one in the room whether you like it or not. You can have battalion chiefs, you can have captains, but as narcs and everything, you have training. And that's why you keep going to training. Like I talked about at the conference, you keep taking people's classes my whole life. You still, hey Bob, you're not even sworn anymore to it. I still take training because I listen to what people have to say. That's what my class is about. Take this narco training and everything I got. And then the second part of the class is emerging drug trends. When I retired, I retired in 09. I retired on a Friday. My guys took me out, they all hugged me. They gave me a plaque. Then on uh, Sunday, I moved my stuff down three office doors in my office. And Monday, I came back to work as a law enforcement coordinator now, okay? So on Monday, I come back, I'm back at the coffee pot. The Hells Angels had me cornered. I'm telling adventure stories with a janitor. He's like, he's like 19, you know, but he's still, he's still an audience. He's still an audience. Yeah. Gotta, and uh, I'm back. The only reason I work in that office all the time is because I have to be with my team. If I'm gonna instruct narco safety but emerging drug trends, I gotta be where the emerging drug trends are. So when I, like my presentation today, I'm showing him, hey, this guy was on his way uh, to Washington State. And this is what he was transporting, this is what he was carrying. And that's what we talk about. These are the latest trends, this is what's impacting uh, your area. That's what narco safety and emerging drug trends is. You gotta stay up to speed, you gotta protect your eyes, and you gotta protect your respiratory system. Don't let things get airborne. What's the number one safety threat? Like if you, if you said there's the number one thing that these cops need to worry about safety-wise? Airborne contamination, whether it be fentanyl, whether it be, when you go in an environment and something gets airborne, and you breathe it in. If you're smelling it, you're getting contaminated by it. Never forget that. You come in a house, you're doing a, a probation search, you come in a house, and all of a sudden you go to that back bedroom, and, it, and you go, remember how many times you went in place and you went, <coughs> my man, what's going on? They're doing something back there, right? Yeah. But it's chemical related, you know it is. Yeah. Well, the minute you took that, you know, you took that hit. That's called the chemical bullet. Yeah. And when you take those hits, they don't impact your life for 25 to 40 years. The same way they did Rick Ulis, same way Eddie Rodriguez on my team. These guys die of cancer, you know, after 25, 30 years, I lose guys like that. Because people don't realize what you do now will impact your life 25 years, yes. 30 years. And that's how you die of the chemical bullet. And that's what we talk about. So what would you, so would you recommend for like, so the patrol officers that are listening to this, the detectives, whomever, would you recommend wear a mask, wear gloves, wear eye protection? Well, that's the world you're in now. Yeah. With the, the world of synthetics is here. Uh, you're still going to see some natural drugs, but why grow hectares and hectares or acres and acres of opium and everything now when you can turn around and synthetically make an opiate? 
uh, they already have pushed aside a lot of their marijuana areas and stuff like that because synthetics is the way to go. The problem is, and you teach it so you know, there's analogs being manufactured coming up here now that we've never heard of before. And when you turn around and you smoke pills, you turn around, remember you used to snort cocaine, but it converted to crack so you could hit the pipe. So it would get airborne in 10 seconds, hit you. You would turn around, you used to slam methamphetamine, but now it created ice and now you hit the pipe. The fastest way to get something in your body is to breathe it in. So when you turn around and you go in a house, you have to go in and do real police work and save lives, you have to do that. Okay, that's what we all signed up for. That's the game. But it doesn't mean you have to hang out in there. Doesn't mean when you get in an environment like that and you smell stuff like that, you need to be hanging in there uh, with your other buddies and you're talking about something being in the house because what's going to happen is you're going to get anesthetized. You're not going to smell it anymore. And then what's going to happen? Sergeant Graves is going to show up and you walk in the house and the first thing you just go like this. What is that? So everybody out. Everybody out. Well, what's up, Sarge? Everything. Don't, guys, don't be standing in that environment. Don't pick things up and ever bring it to your respiratory system. Don't smell oh. anything. And you'll see yeah. that. I use, a, I use a clip from a TV show the other night that I love, a show I watch on TV. And it's a law enforcement show, but I always search those shows for clips for mm. what not to do. And it takes about six minutes of watching those yeah. shows to show yeah. people. Yeah. And this guy picks his kid up, and here it comes. Right to his nose. And I'm thinking, never do that. Never bring anything to your respiratory system. Protect your eyes. Don't bring things to your nose. When you're in an environment, when you're in an unknown environment, get out of it. One thing about manufacturing and all that stuff, remember, they're not flushing nothing. When you're in that environment, I mean, it's not going anywhere. Just go ahead and back out. That's what patrol guys need to know. You need to know when to go in, when to go out. And I would say if you're on a team, always have an escape board for your team. So when you go in and you get into an environment, and as you go in, like my team, our word was always avalanche. Avalanche was our word, and everybody in the world uses it. I was watching SEALs on TV last season, and all of a sudden the, the SEALs are, it's, it's happening, they're fighting for their life. Avalanche, because the guy threw a grenade, I started, I started getting misty-eyed. I go, holy moly, I go, the SEALs are using my avalanche. But what that means for, tech, for teams, that sometimes you'll get into an environment, that's why with me, boy, you better always had your earpiece on, yeah. better always had your eye protection on, and if you go into a back bedroom and you see a booby trap, you trigger something, or you see three people on the ground, and suddenly you realize, you know, uh, this is bad. You don't have time to visit with, uh, hey, uh, Sarge, yeah, I've got three guys back here. and it, You don't have time for a lot of that. Avalanche. Avalanche. Everybody to the rally point, because you always have a rally point, yeah. and immediately get out. You have a suspect, grab them, but everybody out. Something's wrong in that house. See, to think like that and everything. Uh, everything's changed for all these uh, guys now. You know, back in our days, you know, you could get run over staff, all the traditional stuff that they still do. Yeah. But now there's going to be airborne things. There's going to be all kinds of little critters that are going to crawl on their computers. They're going to take their life away from them, from their computers and their phones. They're going to take their money. They're going to turn around and suck their life out of them, you know, through these chemicals they're going to be exposed to. And I think the biggest thing, the uh, biggest point I try to make is don't live in a world where you don't think this can happen to you. And I tell them that. Right. Do you truly believe? that you can't be one of Keith Grave and I's training video? Yeah. I go, do you really believe that? Because that's the problem. This stuff really happens to you. But what happens is, you've never been impacted by it yet. Because it's never happened to you. Yep. See? We all get a little thicker. We all start to slip. If we got in a pursuit right now, me and you, we'd have to call an Uber. <laughs> we would. We would. It'd be like this. He's turning down the alley. You'd be like this. Uber X, me and you jump in. We go five blocks up the street. We jump out. <laughs> 
you know, yeah. these young kids can still chase them. We, we yeah. can't do that. But uh, you turn around and now you start getting sloppy on searches. It's yeah. called normalization defiance. And I talk about it in my class. I show them a good video. I show them a gal. She's got a gangbanger in custody. She brings his hands back like this. She's just holding his hands like this, like that. And he goes like this and runs like a gazelle. And I, I go, when you're in the academy, remember? A bent wrist, a twist lock, get them off balance, have your toes stuck outside doing it. Because see, normalization defiance, that becomes the norm. So then I show them a video after that. The old, this one. You got a gun on you? It's a motor. It's oh, a motor. Yeah. You have a gun on you, everything like that? No, and then he searches the other guy, pats him down, the other guy goes like this, pulls out a big knife, and throws it on the ground and stands there. And then I show the booking counter with the Glock stuck in his waistband, right at the booking counter. Yeah. Because you've done the job for 15 years now, and you've reached that point where you start searching like that, and that now becomes your normalization. That's the norm for you. But one of these days it's going to come back and you're going to get one of the back of the head from that cage or something's going to happen to you. So that's the kind of stuff you know, we it's, talk about. It's the stuff that's killing cops. Absolutely. You're talking about the stuff and that's killing cops. And you see it all the time. And, but sometimes you have to have a reminder. And, and some right. of the things, like you're right, like I, you and I have been teaching for a long time. We've been teaching since before 2020. Wear a mask. Wear a mask on all this stuff. There's just too many airborne contaminants. And before 2020, people would look at us and be like, I'm not going to wear a mask. They're going to make fun of me. Or... I'm not going to wear a mask, it's a pain in the ass. Or I just don't want to do it. Now, 20, 20 later, people still wear it. But we still see people that don't want to wear a mask, not because you're worried about COVID. You've got all these synthetic drugs that are just contaminating all of us. And it's something simple. What if somebody spit in your mouth? It's happened. <laughs> exactly. Then it eats your brain. Yeah. Bacteria gets in you. Yep. Yeah, you know all about that, dude. Yeah, that scared the living. You know what out of you. Yeah, and that's because yeah. it was something that got airborne, and got into your mouth. You yeah. know, you can ingest breathing stuff in ocular through your eyes right here. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. You know, so you need to protect that. But that respiratory system really needs to protect you. You're right. I Absolutely. mean, come on, dude. We went through that time. You know, I mean, you were seriously. So what mask? What so, mask are you recommending for cops? Then? Well, still, it just it's what the state buys you or the the counties are N95 particle masks which will filter 95% of the particles and everything. Yeah. The big thing is just wearing it. Yes. You know, I mean, you can buy cloth masks and all that and everything, but you have a particle mask that you're, everybody now, you know when we go to the vendor show here, the trade show, yeah. they all have those kits now for you. Nitro yes. gloves, yeah. you get a, a Tyvex paper suit, and then you get N95 particle masks. They're making them for you. Hey, yeah. you can put these in the trunk for all your units and everything like that. I think the biggest thing I see is that when you turn around and you're working the streets and you're, you're seizing tinfoil balls that have some type of powder that you put yes. that stuff on and you be careful when you're handling all that. You shouldn't handle drugs or you shouldn't be handling any drugs or any people that are sick or anything without mask, gloves, eye protection. Never. It should be field testing at all. Oh. Test kits, break in a couple ampules. You better get to your office, get under a vent hood, yes. a vent hood, put your stuff on, then do it and everything. Because uh, nothing happened to you. Hey, you know, we really here in California, I can't remember, We've had so many near deaths. Look at Pete McCullough, Escondido PD. Yes. How'd you like to walk down the hallway and look and see a guy leaning back like that who literally looked dead to you? Did they look dead to you when you looked at that? Yes. You thought he'd passed on. Absolutely. And then they roll into action, boy, and they did that. Escondido did everything right, boy. As yeah, you know, they did. They knew all about Narcan administration and everything. Then they got him on the ground and they kept his airway open, turned him over in case he was going to aspirate. You know, they saved that guy's life. And that Pete tells you that. But see, 
You've never had that happen to you. How do you know? Yeah. You walk in. You're going to walk out to the back part of your parking lot, and you're going to see a guy in a patrol car just sitting there one of these days. After you guys just do a search warrant, you don't realize he got hit. Yeah. yeah. Are we being attacked by a hotel yeah, staff we, behind us and everything? We got hotel staff coming in. Are hey, we, can you give us just one minute to uh, finish up? We're filming an interview. Okay. We'll be done yeah. in just a second, buddy. Thank you. That we should probably, we should probably, that's our, that's our to wrap it up. Yeah. Like All right. So uh, if people want to go to your class, where, how do they contact you? Like, like get, where can they take your class? Can they contact you individually, go through your government organization? Like, how would they? I want to take your class on narco safety. Yeah, I would uh, I would go through my agent, uh, Keith Graves. <laughs> how about this? Through all of your stuff. We should, we should set something up then, huh? <laughs> we should. We Maybe. should set up a narco safety class online so all these people can watch it. Yeah, well, yeah we can do that. All right, we'll figure Basically it out. Basically what we'll it is, it is, is, you know, is I still, you know, I still work full time. I'm still very busy. Yep. Uh, but what happens is, uh, I will be contacted. Hey, could you speak at the human trafficking conference in Sacramento? Yes. Could you uh, turn around and come to the? I'm going to the Clan Lab Investigator Association conference. Okay. Nice. In New Orleans in August. I spoke at their first conference, dude, almost 30 years ago. Wow. I was their first speaker. And 30 years later, I'm still around. You're still there. Oh my God. That's because you're Bob Pennell, man. You're the man. Thank you, brother. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Yeah, we need it. You let me know. I can tell everybody. You know, you need something. You can contact me. You can find yeah. me. Do, so do us a favor. Go ahead and subscribe. Rate. Uh, let everybody know about us. So that way we can pass it on. We appreciate your time. Guys, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Drug Training Podcast with Keith Graves. We'd love to hear your comments and respond to your questions in future episodes. Visit our accompanying website at www.onlinedrugtraining.com for more information, advice, training, and to get in touch. And join us again on the next edition of the Drug Training Podcast. Thank you.